This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With the top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. This is week 14 of NFL Friday. We welcome you to our Bronx studios in New York City. Our WFUV Studio 3, Mike Watson, Kenny Ducey, back with you. The the uh, the best duo in all of NFL Friday. Dome. Untouchable. We are untouchable. untouchable. This is as good as it gets. Before we uh, get into our normal show, we uh, wanted to at least address the Jovan Belcher situation in Kansas City. Our thoughts and prayers off the bat, obviously, go to the Kansas City Chiefs organization, the Belcher family, and above all else, in my opinion, the Perkins family. Um, I, I do want to say that I think the NFL handled this exponentially better than I thought they even possibly could in my wildest dreams, in that they offered to the team, the captains, Scott Pioli and Romeo Cornell, do you want to play this game? They said yes, they played the game. And- the other thing they did was they didn't, honor necessarily Javon Belcher, but they honored uh, 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 trying to get an understanding, a greater awareness of domestic violence. Um, And they honored Cassandra Perkins' memory, I thought, in a very good way by doing that. And so, obviously, my my thoughts are they handled it very well. I I thought so, too. And, you know, you never like to hear about a tragedy uh, as as that one went down. And, look, I mean, the Chiefs, they, they played pretty well in the wake of that. I think they overcame that very well. And, again, our thoughts and prayers with them, with Romeo Cornell, uh, and, and the Chiefs GM, as you mentioned, that uh, you know they had to witness that terrible tragedy. Um, but certainly, certainly looks like things are moving in the right direction. So that's good. So we're going to continue here with the show. Obviously, everyone in the NFL, I think, with a heavy heart. Everyone at Maine, everyone who who knows Javon Belcher and, and Cassandra Perkins. So and, our and thoughts locally, and prayers. Mike DeVito, the the Jets, of Jets defensive end, very personally impacted by that. Uh, really thought of him as a friend. So. In case you're looking for a local spin on that anyways, but, I mean, for what that's worth. Yeah, uh, obviously, again, thoughts and prayers that direction. We're going to continue with the show because, obviously, you want to hear about football. We want to tell you about football. We're going to begin here talking about picks last week. And, and look, I was on the road with women's basketball, so I missed last week. I am back in, in the driver's seat here. But, Kenny, you made a bold prediction against a bold prediction. Yeah, I remember that. Julian has it on tape. Julian, make him eat crow. over San Francisco? I was thinking about that Are one. you crazy? They just tied Are you crazy? Ago. No way in the world. All right. That's it. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What are you going to do if St. If Louis beats San Francisco? What are you going to do? What, what am I going to do? I'll come on the uh, FUV Airwaves next Guys, week. Guys, what do you think? We get a and different I'll host say, next week and, and I'll say, come back? I'll say Tim Tebow should start for the Jets. That's what I will do if uh, if that upset pick is right. I'll, I'll, I will make it a whole... I'll go around all week. I'll say Tim Tebow is the greatest. Mark Sanchez is terrible. That's, How about that's the that? deal. All positive comments all about All positive Tebow, all negative Sanchez. All right. Nick has a request in the back, and he really – what, Julian? Now, this is going to be wants, good. Uh, he wants Kenny Ducey to proclaim the New York Giants as the best team in the NFL. You never said that you were going to do one or the other. No, no, you have to play the rest of the clip. There, uh, that, there was that, a lot more than that. In my and, opinion, that is all the clip. And in their well, opinion, hey, look, man. Look, I was, I was fully <laughs> prepared to take on that challenge. And, uh, and for some reason, Nick, the <laughs> – Humongous Giants Homer couldn't have that. He wanted he wanted Giants supremacy, uh, so that's what it is. The Giants number one in my power rankings in the NFL. Number one, so that's what we get. But Team Tebow, is there any two comment? In my heart. <laughs> number two in your number two on number the Jets' two. depth <laughs> chart, at least maybe even number three. And we'll talk about that here as we preview the New York. Oh, Joe. Joe? No Fireman Ed? No problem. Well, at least one Spark Sanchez went with him. That's right, you heard me correctly. After another awful start, down 3-0 in the third quarter, Rex Ryan decided to pull his starting quarterback for his backup, who went on to lead the Jets to victory. So that's it. The Tebow era in New York has begun, right? Wrong. That's because the backup last week wasn't Tebow but rather Greg McElroy, as Tebow was nursing his broken wrist. 
McElroy led Gangrene to a touchdown on his very first drive. He wasn't able to put any more points on the board, but he did enough to win 7-6. Now, instead of a two-quarterback controversy, you have a three-quarterback free-for-all. So who does Rex decide to start against the Jaguars? You guessed it, Mark Sanchez. When I looked at everything, uh, the biggest thing that I kept coming back to is what I had mentioned before about who gives us the best opportunity to win, and in particular this week. And I think when I kept coming back to that, I believe the, the uh, correct answer is Mark Sanchez. As bad as he has played, I don't understand why Rex continues to start him. At the same time, I don't see the Jets having a problem with this game. Let's face it, they're playing the Jaguars. They should be able to win no matter who starts. I expect Sanchez to be on a short leash and wouldn't be surprised to see the backup, whomever it may be, enter if Sanchez struggles. My prediction? Jets 16, Jaguars 6, and Sanchez survives the entire game. Covering the... I'm Joe Vidiello, WFUV Sports. So Joe says Mark Sanchez is actually going to make it the whole game. The whole game. I mean, that's pretty good, right? I mean, it, it is. That's a good claim. That that is. That's probably bold. I, I would say, not knowing the fans in in Jetsland and how how much pressure Rex Ryan's under. But I, I will say this. I and I was talking to a colleague of ours, Chris Morasco, before about sure. this whole situation. I don't think Mark Sanchez is the worst quarterback in the league. He's bottom five. He's the fifth worst, I'll say. I, I've Do you been, have someone in mind who's the worst quarterback in the league in your it, eyes? It's definitely a, a toss-up. I don't know. I mean, Skelton, you have to put Skelton way down there, either at the second the worst or the worst. I can't really say he's the worst. Uh, Blaine Gabbert was probably the worst until Henny stepped in. Henny's probably elevated that Jaguars QB spot to, like, the third worst. Um, Brady Quinn, maybe. Brady Quinn, I would put down. I like we had Brady a great Quinn, week though. last yeah, week. I, I, look, he, he has short completions and he makes it work. But back to the point. Yes, he's he's not very good. Okay, he's he's below average. But the fact of the, the fact of the matter is, the Jets and this was it was surprising that people were surprised at this decision because the Jets have had Greg McElroy inactive all of last year due to that thumb injury or finger in, thumb injury, I think it was, and then all of this year. So you're not going to start a guy who's been active for one game and came in for you, you're certainly not going to start Tim Tebow, as they showed in, in that game. The reason that they pulled Sanchez because Tebow wasn't on the sidelines, in my opinion, it has to be Sanchez. You've committed to this guy for so long. And, and I, I think that people don't give the guy enough credit for his deep ball, which there was a great article on Deadspin that I'll mention a little bit. If you, if you actually think Deadspin is a worthwhile source to go to. Well, I mean, look, they pointed out the fact... <laughs> And it's not a, a primary source of mine that sure. I'll, I'll rely on for information, but you can double. I double check, and it's Mark Sanchez right in the middle of the pack in terms of deep ball percentage. We brought up earlier in the in the year that he was one of the leaders in deep ball completion percentage. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, he doesn't have that short accuracy that has made him good in the past, and he just needs to be a little more accurate. But a guy can throw it deep somewhat, and again, I like him taking those shots. And you saw in the Jets game, they didn't pull him until he messed up throwing short and intercepted very short over the middle. And I think that he has the potential to win against Jacksonville, a bad defense. He's beaten bad defenses, Mike, and I think that he'll continue to do that. Well, and obviously, needless to say, he has to. He really can't afford a bad game here against Jacksonville. Coach Rex Ryan saying he's open to having three quarterbacks on the active roster this week. Obviously, that, of course, depends on whether or not you consider Tim Tebow a, a, a passer or a punt protector, whatever it may take. It looks like McElroy, Tebow, if he's healthy, if, and, and Sanchez will be available this week off the pine in the game. Well, I'll let you keep talking about this because I had my fair share of words to say, but I, I want to point out Tim Tebow has since, I think for four weeks now, not been on the punt team. If, no one's noticed that, but it's been Eric Smith as the protector. So interesting to see if he'll go back there if they want to they open up the possibility for the fake punt or if they'll keep him off the punt team to try to save those ribs. But anyway, you can continue. Obviously, uh, I think that's a good point uh, in terms of the, the kind of beating you can take, especially the number of times the Jets punt. Do we have a laugh track? <laughs> 
Okay, but but they punt a lot, and Tim Tebow's always in harm's way. That would be my joke. But or, or they'll go for it on fourth and one, and Sean Green will run right into a wall. Yes, which is, it, some would argue, worse than just punting away and trying to gain field position. But when you look right now at the Jets, they play the Jaguars, they play the Titans, they play San Diego, and Buffalo. And we obviously will uh, be talking a little bit, here about whether or not Rex Ryan keeps his job and Mike Tannenbaum keeps his job. But I still think even though they've they've committed to Mark Sanchez, they aren't committed to keeping him next year. I think they might actually eat that salary. There are a lot of guys out there, and I said last week on this show, and DJ Sixsmith couldn't believe me when I said it, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Smith is in a Jets quarter, a Jets uniform. I think that would be a great pick. And I'm not saying he will be. I'm not saying I expect him to pursue him. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised. There are a lot of guys out here, Mike, that want jobs that have earned the chance. You know, at a cons- like, for example, Blaine Gabbert. Are the Jaguars going to commit to him after drafting him? Is Chad Henney going to be looking for a home? And he he's looked decent. I mean, there are a lot of guys the Jets could give a shot to. They almost gave a shot to Brady Quinn this offseason, which I was really pulling for because I still think Brady Quinn, you know, with, with the kind of that Chase Daniels, Chad Pennington-type offense with those short passes can still bring it in the NFL. But, I mean, you don't know what Sanchez's future with this team is. It's going to all be defined, I think, in these last five in these last four weeks, even if he doesn't win all the games. If he performs well enough, I think they keep him. And I still think they keep him, but they'll give him – the reins to the quarterback position uh, next year almost pretty easily, I would say, if he performs well these next four weeks. Well, and this is essentially another tryout for the Jets quarterback here, the first-round pick from, I believe, what, four years ago. It's been yep, yep. it's been a while now, and, and these are essentially when we'll find out whether or not he remains the quarterback of the future. Looking at the injury report this week, Mark Sanchez probable with that back. Tim Tebow questionable with those ribs. Other than that, Chaz Shillings was full practice this week. Uh, I was you... hoping you would say he was doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously uh, not not a huge fan over here, Kenny Ducey of Chaz Shillings, but I don't think that's his fault that he's the best receiver on the team. Uh, Antonio Cromartie. The... <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at the rest of the report here, Dustin Keller has not practiced the last three days. He is doubtful, and I'm not sure if he's been ruled out yet, but Obviously, he's a major concern. Stephen Hill, questionable, limited in practice here the past few days. Uh, Matt Slauson, uh, full practice, he's probable to play, so he should be good. Clyde Gates was limited in practice, as was Leron Landry yesterday. Yeah, and Clyde Gates has officially been ruled out with a concussion. So the wide receiver in the tight end position here, potentially very beat up. And I don't think it really matters what quarterback you put in the game. Even though the Jaguars aren't very good, uh, who do you throw to? If Dustin Keller's out, it's back to square one with this offense. You know what? Uh, again, we saw it, I think, against Buffalo. I think it was the first week or the second right, week. They first. put in Cromartie. And here I'm saying Sanchez, he's got a dec- he's he's got an average deep ball completion percentage, which is better than his numbers would show for the entire year. Why not throw the guy in? Why not throw Cromartie in there on a couple packages, show that off a little more? Because he can beat defenders, and as long as Sanchez just throws it anywhere near him, I think he'll go up and compete for that ball. I'd like to see him in the game a little bit, but, I mean, even as unrealistic as that is, I still say Sanchez starts to go to Curly on those quick slant routes they love to throw. And, I mean, he's really going to be the feature receiver here. I don't see anyone else, him and Hill. Hill got a lot of, a lot of targets last right. week. Other than those guys, Cumberland and Ruin, yeah, they get the occasional target. Cumberland's got a little better speed uh, than Keller, I would say, so maybe Cumberland's that third option. Other than that, uh, try Joe McKnight. I mean, I have no idea what else to do now. Well, and I'm looking at some statistics that I find fairly interesting. Uh, First off, everyone but Mark Sanchez has a great completion percentage, but that's not where I'm going with this. I'm looking at total average yards per pass attempt. And it's 6.5 for the Jets and 6.5 for opponents. It's actually the, the same. And, of course, opponents scoring more right now than the Jets as you look back at this season. I think the, the problem here, obviously, is that Mark Sanchez has more interceptions than touchdowns, 13 to 12. And then you look at rushing, he, he fumbles the ball plenty. Of course, 
the the fumble against the Patriots, the single funniest the play butt, I've the butt ever fumble, <laughs> the greatest some, fumble some I've guy ever seen. Wore a jersey last week with with six on the back, and the last name was Butt Fumble. <laughs> it was the greatest jersey I've ever seen. But anyway, I mean, finish your point before I I talk about. I, I mean, my problem is not that he's not throwing the deep ball, which I think is a concern. It has to be a concern. My concern is is he's turning the ball over at a rate that I just don't think you can win at. He's fumbled the ball ten times this year. Not all of them were recovered by the Jets or the other team, obviously. It wasn't 10-0, but when you put the ball on the ground that much and 13 interceptions, how can your team win that way? It's hard. It's hard when you turn the ball over to win football games, Mike, and despite the Falcons turning the ball over to the Cardinals six times a couple weeks back, they still managed to win. So you really need an opponent like that. You need a bad opponent to win these games. And that's exactly who the Jets have in front of them and who they played last week. It didn't matter that Sanchez was was stinking it up because the Cardinals weren't going to score, nor were they going to stop the Jets on on the ground. Sean Green at 104 yards. Mike, you mentioned the passing and the Jets limiting six and a half yards per pass attempt. Uh, to opponents. They have the fourth best pass defense. Let me remind you, I think it was on this show, one of my first episodes, I said, look, hey, here are the Jets. They got a great pass defense. It's fourth in the league. And then you said, well, that was because of Revis, because Revis was there for the last couple of times. I mean, that helped. It did. Obviously. But look at the air still fourth in the league. They still have a great pass defense. LaRon Landry and Jeremiah Bell are proving to be good pickups on that defense. Cromartie's doing what he has to do to step up. Yeah, Kyle Wilson's getting burned, but there's going to be a weak spot on every defense. And then you look at Jacksonville. They're the 28th best pass defense in the league. So that's the second, third worst in the league. Right. How is Mark Sanchez going to mess this up? Now, again, he's <laughs> messed up ga- He's messed up a lot of times when you didn't think he was going to, or fourth worst in the league, rather, the, their passing defense. I, again, he he has beaten bad defenses before. He has been bad, you know, against the 49ers he was bad. That's a great defense. So you have to be a little confident if you're the Jets going forward in this game. Kind of warm Sanchez up a little bit for what's to come. And look, he said there was a message sent to him by this benching. Hopefully that that you know that got through to him. And uh and we'll see if he can beat up this bad Jacksonville defense. I mean, he could make he could make former Jet Dwight Lowry look like a superstar or, you know, make him look like Dwight Lowry. So we'll see. Well, and I look at game log here this year, and you talk about Jacksonville. Not a very good team, obviously, but you look, he has been over a 90 passer rating five times this year. Once against Buffalo, he was obviously at 123.4. In a win over Indianapolis where they crushed the Colts, a 90.3 in that overtime loss to New England in Foxborough, a 118 against St. Louis in that win, and the 30-point loss to New England, he had a 94.8 passer rating, but he fumbled in that game, obviously, the, the butt, fumble, butt fumble, as you mentioned. But I, obviously, not not the worst quarterback in the league, in my opinion, neither yours. Um, but So let's stop calling him that. That's no, what I'm saying. no, this will need to be a bounce-back game here for Mark Sanchez. And my question to you, Kenny is will it be a bounce-back game for not only Mark Sanchez, but the Jets? Absolutely. Think Sanchez still throws a pick in this game. It's going to happen. But I predict the Jets will win. Uh, I'm going to say a lot of people, uh, it's funny, looking at 16, 17 points for the Jets. I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say 23 points. Uh, My man Ryan Rucco, WFUV alum, said 23 points to the Jaguars, 20 for the Jets. I'm going to say the Jets win at 23 to 14. No, 23 to 10. And in the back, we've got three, Seminary, Legerfo, and Atienza. We've got all Jets, I think, in the back. I think everybody can agree that this should be a win for the Jets, we hope. And now we're going to transition here. We've got a, a great interview coming up for you right after Eric Mallow's report uh, as we had on the USA Today uh, NFL beat reporter. We have to tell the, we have to tell the people out there what time it is. Who, what team are we about to talk about? It is Giants time. And what way to do that, of course. There's Mullen in the air. There, (laughs) Eric, take it away. Giants head coach Tom Coughlin said it at the beginning of the year. The Giants know how to make things interesting. Although they control their own destiny, 
the G-Men aren't in a position that they wanted to be in at this point in the season. Marred by penalties and missed opportunities, the Giants dropped a vital division game to the surging Redskins 17-16 on Monday night and now hold the NFC East lead by one game over both Washington and Dallas. It doesn't get any easier for Big Blue. Next up is the New Orleans Saints, and while New Orleans is a dangerous team, they're usually better at home than on the road. But Tom Coughlin understands the offensive threat they pose. They've got a multitude of talented people on the offensive side of the ball, sixth in the league, runners or receivers out of the backfield that you want to feature. They've got it. So they're a very good offensive team. Despite these circumstances, some good has come for the Giants, especially since their bye week. Eli's arm looks back to normal, and the running game seems to be picking up with Ahmad Bradshaw getting a full workload. But their pass rush is still inconsistent, and the team is starting to get banged up. Safety Kenny Phillips still has a knee bug, and the Giants lost their second offensive player in as many weeks, as versatile tackle Sean Locklear is now out for the year after suffering a gruesome knee injury. Drew Brees and the Saints are going to attack the Giants hard this week. Needless to say, the G-Men need to cut down on their penalties from last week. Additionally, wide receivers Victor Cruz and Hakeem Nix need to return to early season form, thus allowing the Giants' offense to click. Although they're in a tough position, I think Big Blue will pull out a W this week because playing outside in December is much different than playing in the Superdome. Giants 34, Saints 26. Covering the Giants, I'm Eric Malo, WFUV Sports. He covered the Giants for the Newark Star-Ledger for eight seasons, now covers the NFL for USA Today. Mike Garofolo, so glad to have you on. How you doing this morning? Good, gentlemen. How's it going? Things are great here in the Bronx. Now, Mike, let's begin with the Giants. You spent a lot of time on their beat, and I think everyone is kind of enamored with the quote from Jason Pierre-Paul this week. The Drew Brees is so much easier a matchup for the Giants than RG3. What do you make out of that comment? I make something different than everybody else really has, I think, because I haven't seen this uh, kind of analyzed a little bit. Uh, and that's uh, Jason Peterpaul is, one, a pass rusher, uh, and two, a defensive lineman uh, who has to worry about the run. Okay, so what that means is, he doesn't want anything that's going to slow him down. And, and the two things that would slow him down when facing RG3 are, one, the threat of the option uh, or the handoff, you know, just trying to figure out where the ball is, that split second where you have to kind of stop your feet. That's number one. Number two is the fact that the guy is so fast that he can easily escape the pocket. You saw him do that a couple of times. There was one play where he got outside. Uh, I think it was Matthias Kiwanuka where he had no business really getting outside on that play. And Kiwanuka probably thought he had the edge, uh, but Griffin proved him wrong. So, now Jason Pierre-Paul is thinking, well, you know, you've got a guy in Drew Brees who, you know, he, he can move around a little bit. He can escape, and he's pretty quick out, uh, excuse me, quick with getting the ball out of his hands. Uh, so those are the kind of things that will affect him. But it's not RG3, and it's not that offense, and it's not the kind of things that are going to affect pass rushers in that regard. He can kind of tee off. He knows uh, when Brees is going to be in, in the shotgun there. He can kind of get after him. So. While it's not exactly uh, an easier assignment if it's Drew Brees and that Saints offense as we know it, and we've seen that in spurts, uh, it is an easier assignment in Jason Pierre-Paul in that he doesn't have to think a lot and he doesn't have to worry about those other things. He can just kind of rush the passer. So I think that when you say that and people will say, oh, Drew Brees versus RG3, and, and are you kidding me? You think this is easier? You've got to take it within the perspective of what Jason Pierre-Paul is thinking about. And I think, again, it's those things that I just laid out for you. Well, we saw Jason Pierre-Paul almost get embarrassed a couple of times by RG3 in that option, and you know that was a matchup everyone was looking at this week, and we, we I thought at least the Giants would have a pretty good shot at stopping RG3, even though he is so athletic. Were you surprised at all at the ease that, uh, that RG3 had rolling out of that pocket getting those rushing yards? No, I mean, he, he's going to do that to you. And, and, you know, I really do think that they did a decent job uh, on Monday night. I mean, look, they scored 17 points. I mean, you, you want it to be seven. You want it to be zero. You want it to be whatever. But they held, they held them to 17 points. Uh, and, and they were able to kind of keep them in check and keep that offense in check and at least stop them from making the big play. I mean, the guy's going to get outside. The guy's going to get around you. It's just what he does. He's that fast. He's that athletic. He's going to be a nightmare for years. But I think that if you can hold them to 17 points, 
I think that you're really going to take that for the next 10 years. I mean, if you said, you know, hold RG3 to 17 points every game for the next 10 years, guys would sign up for that right now, I think. Now, I do think that the problem that's going to present itself for defense is facing this guy is in what's called the four-minute drill, which is when a team has the lead and they want to try and milk the clock and they want to get that first down there to keep moving the change and force the other team uh, to use their timeouts. I think that's where the guy's going to be a nightmare, and I think that's where you saw it last week. I mean, you've got to worry about is he going to give the ball to Alfred Morris on third and three like he did and Chris Canty was only able to try and make a one-handed tackle? Is he going to run himself? Is he going to hit that play-action pass on that slant that he hit on the second down right before the two-minute warning? I mean, that guy, and they're going to get positive yardage with that offense. You're going to be able to take that first and ten and turn it into a second and five. What you really want is to face a team that's going to be run-heavy that you know you can kind of stack the box up against. They run the ball up the middle. You stop them for no gain or a gain of one out, second and nine. The Redskins offense, with all those threats, and with how hesitant you have to be up front, is going to be able to generate positive yardage. So I think that that's where the guy's really going to be a nightmare, and that's what happened the other night. Well, and, and during the year, I've, I've found it interesting that, that the option quarterback, the running quarterback, is starting to make an, an appearance, that dual-threat QB. And obviously, as soon as Colin Kaepernick gets the call, Michael Vick does not get the call. Nick Foles will start the rest of the season in Philadelphia. So it's kind of a question to you about how the NFC East is beginning to shape out because there's Tony Romo and there's Eli Manning who are clearly not runners. And then there was Michael Vick and, and RG3. Do you see maybe a, a movement back, toward, back towards that, that throwing style quarterback? No, I think that's always going to be, you know, it, it, you're not looking at RG3 saying this is the future of the NFL and that there's going to be 32 of these guys. He's a rare talent. You've got to keep that in perspective. And you've got to be careful not to lump all running quarterbacks together because guess what? Tony Romo can get can escape a little bit. He's not going to run down the field for 20 yards, but he's wiggly. He's able to find room, these kinds of things. Uh, he's slippery. He can duck the shoulder, and he's done that to the Giants in the past. But, you know, the thing to me with Michael Vick is, he was this running quarterback uh, earlier in, in this uh, millennium, I guess you could say. Uh, but he, he was this guy that, that presented that element. But he was never the most accurate passer. I mean, he, he was going to kill you with his legs. But he, and he had, he had an incredible arm. But he was going to be maddeningly inconsistent. I think with RG3, you're seeing a guy who brings that element with his legs, but is also a terrific passer. Yeah. So. You know, are, are more of these guys now coming up going to be allowed to play quarterback in high school and quarterback in college and run these kinds of systems? Yeah, I think so. But I think you're not going to see the Eli Mannings of the world. Be, I, I'm going to say the Andrew Luck, even though Luck brings a little bit of that mobility himself too as well. Uh, but you're going to see these guys that are able to, to hit big chunks of yardage down the field, especially with the way the NFL is, is, is enacting these rules to protect these wide receivers. The pocket pass is not going away. And I don't think that all of a sudden, because you're seeing this RG3, you're going to see a bunch of them. You still need to have an accurate arm, and the guy is a rare talent. Yeah, it certainly is. Now, we love RG3 here, but we're talking about the Giants. I want to move on here, talk about Hakeem Nix in that game. The last three weeks, he's had 14 targets, 13 and 10, respectively. So Manning's looking for him a lot, uh, but he did miss practice yesterday. Well, what can you tell us on that front of how he's feeling for this upcoming game and how big of an impact do you think he can make uh, against the Saints? Well, it's troublesome, and I think that somebody asked me uh, early in the season, you know, are you going to be able to see Hakeem Nick at some point be healthy, I, or when, actually, it wasn't even if. It was when are you going to see him healthy. And I said, no, 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 the question is if. I just don't think that with the knee and the foot uh, and the kind of stuff that he's had to go through that you're going to see Hakeem Nick as we know Hakeem Nick to be. I mean, it's just not a guy right now uh, that – a defense has to account for the way that they've had to account for previously. I thought he was getting healthy. I thought with that bye week heading into it and even getting that, that extra rest there that he was going to come out uh, and look like the old team. Like he's still not himself. I think he's a little better than he was. And, and, you know, I think early in the season he was starting to get there that first two games, and then he hits his knee against Tampa Bay, and it's kind of been, you know, in that little gray area between the Hakeem Knicks we know and a guy that really shouldn't be playing. So I think that that's what you're going to see moving forward. The fact that he sat out this week is an indication he's still having those issues. Now let's look here at this Saints-Giants game. Obviously for the Saints, this has to be a must-win. For the Giants, things have really closed in in the division. Is this a must-win for both teams, one team, neither team? Well, I don't think it's a must-win for the Giants, uh, but I think it's going to it's going to be a, a killer blow if they don't win this game. I mean, you're you're looking at the 
the Redskins uh, are pretty hot here. You look at the Cowboys right nipping at their heels right now. Uh, and if you lose this game, now you're staring at, you know, Atlanta, Baltimore, and, and a Philly game that, yeah, it probably looks easy on paper, but that could be, you know, the win one for Andy game on his way out the door with the Eagles and nothing left to play for there and wanting to spoil a giant season. So I think you're in dangerous territory if you lose this game. I, I, I think, you know, yes, it is a must win, and I say that, from the standpoint of must win for their morale. I mean, if they lose, obviously, they'll be tied. The Redskins or Cowboys will have the tiebreaker over them, depending on the record, uh, the division record. But, you know, for for the morale and for knowing that, hey, they still got this thing kind of in control, yeah, they do absolutely have to win this one this week. Now, I see you tweet a lot about the Jets and also the Giants. You covered the Giants for so long. So you know how Eli Manning developed, and there was an article today on Deadspin about Manning's development and how, you know, that yeah, him and Sanchez are the same in which they turn the ball over a lot, but how Manning rose to success really was holding the ball in the pocket and throwing downfield and taking a chance on the big play. Meanwhile, Sanchez looks for checkdowns, but when he makes mistakes, it really makes him pay because it's only about a, you know, a five-yard pass downfield. So uh, my question to you is, do you think Mark Sanchez should adapt the ways of Eli Manning, take more shots downfield? Would that fix him? No, I think that the Jets need to find Mark Sanchez more downfield threat. That's where it is. <laughs> that was a good point. I mean, I thought, you know, it's great. You can just throw the ball downfield, but, you know, if you're not throwing it to a guy who's open, that's the problem. And, you know, San Antonio Holmes, I don't think that the Jets should have given him the kind of contract that they gave him. I also think that there's a reason that Pittsburgh let him go. You know, an organization like that that lets a guy go, there is a reason for it. Uh, but that being said, the guy is a threat to opposing defenses, and that has really been lost. It's really been missing in that Jets offense. You know, on top of that, though, they did need Stephen Hill to play a big role this season, and I think that you look at the Jets and you say, well, you know, where is the depth at these skill positions? I don't see it. You know, Dustin Keller went down. I mean, Jeff Cumberland's not a guy that, that, that worries you. He made a nice catch against the Texans, but it's not a guy that uh, you're going to see catching six, seven, eight balls a game. I mean, there's just not enough depth on that on that offense. Don't forget, now, question, don't forget about Conrad Ruland in there. <laughs> exactly, right, exactly right. So the, the, the question, though, uh, is you look at this Jets and say, well, is Sanchez broken? If you do find a way to kind of get some targets around him, if you do find a way to give him an arsenal that he can hit, you know, is this the kind of guy that can recover mentally and be able to do this kind of stuff? You know, I don't know. I, I still think that he's got some good football left in him, but if they don't surround him with guys that, again, can get open down the field and give him those options down the field, well, then that's going to be a problem. All right, so we're going to close here with two predictions, one for the Jets, one for the Giants. For the Jets, I don't think at this point really matters whether they win or lose. So we got to go somewhere else with our prediction. It's we're getting towards that time in their season. But who starts the most games in the remainder of the season? Sanchez, McElroy, or Tebow? Uh, I think it's still Sanchez. I mean, I just don't see a way that you come out this week and play bad against the Jaguars. I mean, you've got to be able to move the ball. You've got to be able to get some things done. I mean, if it's if you thought that anything the Jets experienced this year was chaos. Wait till you see what happens if Mark Sanchez comes out this week and really plays terrible football and that team loses that game. I mean, it's going to be chaos. They're, they're still in their minds looking at this last quarter of the season saying, you know, we've got Buffalo, we've got Tennessee, we've got Jacksonville, we've got some winnable games here. We've got a chance to, you know, if they go 3-1, and one, finish at 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, if they finish at 8-8 eight and eight and tell us, oh, we were 8-8, eight you know, uh, look at the record. I'm going to I'm gonna hammer these guys. Because the fact of the matter is they've beaten one winning team, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, so if they're able to get to 8-8 eight eight. now, if they win all four games here uh, and finish at 9-7, and seven, now you may have a little bit of a case and say, hey, we've got some good things going. We play without Revis. We play without San Antonio. It's hard to have a winning season in the NFL. This is the kind of stuff that Coughlin was saying when the Giants were 10-6, and six, and I was completely on board. It's not easy to go 10-6. and six in the NFL, uh, this was a couple of years ago when they didn't make the playoffs, and I, I believe he said they can all line up and uh, kiss my butt, uh, and a lot of people <laughs> got on him for that. So if the Jets are able to go 9-7, and seven, I'll have a different uh, tone about this. I'll still think that they've got a lot of changes to make, uh, but I will give them the credit for closing out strong. But anything below that, this team does need major changes. See, someone agrees with me. It's hard to lose against the Jaguars, Mike. All right, one team that would love to be nine and seven, the New Orleans Saints. They're playing the Giants this week, who are at seven and five. Give us your prediction. Does Drew Brees rebound from those five picks and make Jason Pierre-Paul eat his words? 
<laughs> I think he does rebound a little bit, uh, but I've got to think that the Giants fuck up. Usually, after you see a game like that in which the Giants play undisciplined football, and in this case it was the nine penalties, usually Kaufman's able to crack the whip, get him right back in line. So I think you're going to see uh, smarter football from the Giants, more disciplined football from the Giants, uh, and I think that that's going to be uh, a major help uh, immediately uh, facing the Saints team because you can't gift them anything. You need to play smart football, and I think they're going to be able to get after Breeze a little bit. I think you're finally going to see that pass rush. I don't see the Giants losing this game. He is Mike Garofolo. His Twitter, at Mike Garofolo, covering the NFL for USA Today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. You got it, guys. And Kenny, and Kenny obviously there, there are some things here to take away from Mike Garofolo. Uh, we are essentially transitioning into the general NFL segment here in a moment, but your, your take on the Giants game this week. Well, it was, it was a crazy display of what RG3 can do. Um, I, I can't really knock the Giants' defense at all because he was outstanding. Like He was outstanding on Monday night and uh, really, really wowed me. The Giants' defense, and now given that secondary is not that great, so some of those passes, understandable, but the, the fact of the matter is he fooled, as I said to, to Mike, he fooled that defensive line, and that's not easy to do. I'm going to say this week against the Giant, against the Saints, it depends how healthy Akeem Nix is if he's healthy. I think they win by a considerable margin, but I think it's going to be close here. Uh, I, it's hard to pick this game, but I'm going to say the Giants win 20-17. to 17. Yeah, I'm going to take the Giants here this week as well. And, and I know New Orleans needs this game. We talked about that with Mike. But at the end of the day, I, I just think that the Giants, not only do they need it, but, but I think they've, they've got a more complete team. In the back, I know we've got Giants from Julian and Giants from Nick. The question is Steve, and Steve goes Giants as well. So overall, it looks like a Jets and a Giants sweep. So none of us are losing on those picks. No, no one's gaining. Nobody is losing on those. Let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit more about the, the greater league because not everything that happens happens at the Meadowlands here in the NFL. And uh, there, there are a few big games coming up here this week, one of which is Texans and Patriots. And I personally think Denver, who already played this week and, and stretched their winning streak to eight, is the best team in the, in the AFC you think it's the Texans, and they're playing the Patriots. Is this where they prove how good they are? I think it is. I mean, you look at the Patriots this this year, and they've had their share of – now, they've had great wins, but, again, they've had weak spots, like against the Jets the first time, obviously not the second time. That was just, that was a big up for them. Didn't play too well. And, again, people will criticize them. Well, that was the Jets. And, yeah, that's a rival, but they're, they're one of the worst teams in football, again – Statistic record-wise, not one of the worst teams in football, but that's who they're seen as. Overall, though, I look at these Patriots. They're a strong team with a young, struggling defense that's starting to get their legs from under them. Aqib Tlaib, great pickup. We talked about that a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, for nothing. Yeah, pretty much for nothing. Uh, and again, they're 9-3, and 4-1 and one at home. Texans undefeated on the road at 11-1. and one. The Texans, yes, they lost Brian Cushing, but somehow, Mike, they lose Mario Williams and their defensive line stays intact because of this guy named J.J. Watt. I mean, coming out of nowhere, it really. I, I mean, if you are a big fan of, of college football and you follow the draft a lot, then, yeah, you knew that Watt might be might be a presence on the line, but not like this. Uh, he's been outstanding. You got Foster running, you know, running well, as always, one of the top backs in the league. Andre Johnson now coming back into the picture when Schaub's feeding them the ball, Owen Daniels. He's a great tight end down the field. So many weapons on offense and on defense. Jonathan Joseph, great corner, just everywhere. They have talent, and I think that they're look. Peyton Manning is probably the NFL MVP right now in all of football. I think he's the MVP. But I mean, it, it's 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 a tough toss up between the Texans and uh, and the Broncos. But I give it the slight edge to the Texans, and I think they win this week. Well, and of course, the Texans last year also lost to Miko Ryan's, who had over a hundred tackles for some crazy number of years in a row. He was. Uh, a very good linebacker for them. Shipped them off to the Eagles, uh, where the grass is not always greener. Looking at some other general NFL here. Look, th this kickoff suggestion that, that has been uh, leveled by Greg Schiano, the former <laughs> Rutgers coach and now with the Bucks, he's saying that, that his idea is to eliminate kickoffs completely. And what you do instead is make it 4th and 15 from your own 30-yard line. You can go for it. And if you make it, you keep the football. Or you can punt it away. Or you can fake the punt. Whatever it takes, it's 4th and 15 at your own 30. 
And I look at that and go, I, I understand player safety is an issue, but that's a fundamental change to oh my football. Goodness, Mike. There was an article that said, you know, Roger Goodell, he would be applauded. I think it was on ESPN, too. He would be applauded for his uh, his play, taking player safety into consideration. People would definitely appreciate the fact that he's putting the players first and he's trying to protect them. Who in the world would appreciate eliminating, kick, eliminating kickoffs? I'm sorry, maybe former players and players who, who don't like concussions. And, and clearly there's a problem there with the NFL with concussions. But the fact of the matter is eliminating kickoffs is not the right way to go. No. I, I mean, I'm sorry. Greg Schiano ruining victory formations everywhere, now trying to ruin <laughs> the kickoff. Sorry, Greg. It's, it's not going to happen. I mean, this would... And it's interesting to think about. This would add. This would change the game completely. What yeah. if you're you're trying to come back in this game and and you score a touchdown now instead of an onside kick and go for it? You could try to get a 15 yard completion. I mean that's that, that's easy. I, people would take that in a heartbeat. That would definitely open up the possibility for teams to come back late in games. And again, 15 yard conversion. That's tough, but. I mean, Ray Rice almost did it twice Rice, in one try. What seven tacklers he broke on that one? I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but no, I, I, that would completely flip the script uh, in the NFL. I, I don't think that's a, a very viable change, Mike. And, and I look at it again, and and Josh Cribbs, who has the t- uh, ties the NFL record. I think Leon Washington has the other share of it for most kickoff return touchdowns in a career. He says there's no way he, he'd be all for that. Well, there, well, there's just there's something. You can't just automatically set the, the field position at the 30-yard line, Mike, of, of where you're going to take the ball from. You have kickoffs, and this is a, a great part of the game. You have a good returner, that's a benefit to you. A good special team. So look at the Jets. Mike Westoff, great coach, and they have a good returner after good returner come in there. And, yes, look at their record. But when you start the ball out at the 30 to 35-yard line, it's significantly better than when you're starting it out at the 20 to 15-yard line if you don't have a great return man right. who will take it out from the back of the end zone and get tackled. So, yeah, that, that's a big change. Well, and to a certain extent eliminates the use of a kicker, and that may one day lead to the point of do you get rid of kickers altogether? I know there are people who don't think that a game should come down to a kick. Well, I, I disagree with that too. I think it, it shows the strength of your team. And Steve Seminari is on here with us now. And, Steve, I, I just want your take because you were in the back. You're disagreeing with one of us, I, I think, maybe. Well, I, I just think the whole issue is not even newsworthy because it's not going to happen. That's Yeah, well, my, no, it's not. You, you're on. My, I'm sorry, okay. Yeah, I, I just think it's not even newsworthy. The bottom line is if you're in the NFL – and you're playing in this league, and you're worried about safety, don't play. They're getting paid plenty of money. They don't want to play. You don't play. But the bottom line is that would change the whole integrity of the game. It's not going to happen. It isn't, and I was actually watching uh, something on Real Sports about concussions, and it's different in the NFL. In the NFL, you have head problems after you uh, you retire. They help you out. They pay for your medical, you know, whatever. Right. And uh, in college, you're done for if you have brain injuries, you know, because of playing college football. So, I, I mean, again, the NFL does try to help out these things, and they are making strides, you know, to, to, to make the game safer. But overall, yeah, I agree with Steve. This isn't going to happen. But, Mike, you know, Thursday Night Football, the one week you weren't here, they had a great game last week on Thursday. Yes. And now they get the Broncos and the Raiders. And, and look, you know, you talked about the greater NFL we're going to go to here, and I think the Raiders, they're not part of the greater NFL. Well, speaking, no. <laughs> speaking of Thursday night games, if you want to talk about player safety, there was a ton of injuries last night. These Thursday night games aren't really good. <laughs> see, Denarius more run the wrong way. You see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I agree in that sense. Well, let's have an 18-game season. Oh, let's eliminate kickoffs. But but we, we should have a, a you know Thursday night game. And I mean, it's just so baffling that they're on both sides of this. So, But you know what? They can do this because they make so much money. The league makes a lot of money. They're, of course a, they do. It's the, but the how about sport? They can they can do whatever they want, and fans will still watch. They'll still play fantasy. They'll still come to the games. But how about Thanksgiving, for example? The Houston Texans played overtime on Thursday, mm-hmm. and they played overtime on Sunday. They played six quarters of NFL football in a matter of a hundred like six hours, I believe. That's ridiculous. NFL is a tough game to play, and that's tough for the players to do. It really is. Let's go ahead and switch gears here because uh, the the Bucks, Cowboys, and Redskins are all six and six. They're all in divisions, at least in the Cowboys and Redskins case, where they are within striking distance, and the Bucks are in an opportunity where potentially they could pull off a, a, a wild card spot. Of those three, any, all, some, who, who makes the playoffs? The Bucks. The Bucks. The Bucks. Josh it, Freeman. 
I was not, and this, it is a testament to Josh Freeman. I was not a fan before this season. I thought that he, he had the tools, but he was a turnover machine. Uh, and he has really proved me wrong this year. They have a great running game now. Who would have thought Doug Martin would be doing this uh, this early in his career? Yeah, he had promise coming out of high college, but I, I did, again, I didn't usually running backs take a couple years. Maybe the second year he, he really makes his stride. I know it's been this year. Vincent Jackson, great pickup. And that defense is playing pretty well. I, I really like the Bucks. Yeah, I would say, I mean, a lot of us do probably with scheduling the last few weeks and who has the easiest schedule out of the bunch. I'm not really sure. But you got to like the Bucks. You got to like Washington. You know, Josh Freeman and RG3 are playing great football to both of them. I mean, it's going to be tough, but I would like to see the schedule first. Yeah, and I, I look at the Redskins right now. And, I mean, obviously they're playing great with RG3. We've talked about that at length, I think, in, in this show and, and before it. And you look at their final weeks of the schedule, and they play Baltimore this week at Cleveland. That's a that that's an obvious must-win for them if, if you want to make the postseason. At Philadelphia and against the Dallas Cowboys. And if you win those two games in your division plus the Browns, you're 9-7, and seven, and you potentially have a chance to make it, but if you beat the Ravens, you're ten and six. If, if you can win all four of those, yeah, and that puts you in a really good position overall to potentially win the division. Well, again, in, intra-division record too. Even if you don't win that division, if you have a good intra-division record, that helps in tie breaks. Uh, first, it's head to head, but I'm not sure at the moment what head to head's looking like with the Redskins and the teams they're going up against. But that only helps your case. Uh, with that, now talking about the Bucks, I have their schedule in front of me. It's the Eagles, the Saints, the Rams, and the Falcons. So again, another potential nine and seven team right there. And the Buccaneers, I think they could win three of four uh, down this stretch. And again, it starts this week, and they really have to play inspired football. And Greg Schiano, say what you will about his antics, about his suggestions for the league, what what be it or out, you know, whatever. He's a good coach, Mike. He's really turned this Buccaneers team around. I like what he's doing. I mean, all four of those games are winnable, even the Atlanta game. That's what, week 17? Yeah. You know, who knows who's going to be playing for Atlanta that game. What, so, if, what if you're rolling? you got three games in a row. It's, that changes up the, the, the matchup so, so much. Well, both both teams, you know, Washington and Tampa, could easily win the final four games. No one really crazy on their schedules that they're going to have a tough time. But I think RG3 could handle Baltimore's defense. They could beat Dallas. And I think... Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay, pretty easy schedule in that Week 17 game, also very winnable. And so we're leaving Dallas out here in the cold. Cincinnati uh, on the road here this week, then home for Pittsburgh, home for New, or- uh, New Orleans, pardon, and at the Redskins in Week 17. And last question here in this segment, real quick, got to get in and out here. Steelers, Roethlisberger back, is it too late? Uh, I, I thought it was too late, but Charlie Batch looked decent last week. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that the, the Steelers, Roethlisberger's not going to be himself. And he's going to, I, I mean, look, Roethlisberger's the toughest guy in football. He's tough as nails. But when you got a, a situation where, you you know, you might die if you get hit in the ribs cracked like that again, yeah, you're rolling your eyes. But, I mean, it's this is a completely different injury than he's ever faced before. He could bleed out and literally die on the football field. Uh, or he could have if he played the last couple weeks and got hit in those ribs. You have to be a little tentative in this case. Ben's, Steve. Ben's a big boy, and he's a game changer too. But having Big Ben playing is this one, you know, that's huge for the Steelers in general. I think the Steelers, I mean, that division's pretty tough. The AFC, the AFC is very weak. The AFC is very, very weak, and I think the Steelers do have a shot with Big Ben back. All right, so let's go ahead. Look inside the, uh, the, the fantasy football league. Uh, Steve, you're going to need to help me here. It's time for some fantasy football talk. Who are the top pickups of the week? Plus stardom or sit'em to help you win your league. Mike, it's the, it's the playoffs. It, it is. It is the first round of the fantasy playoffs in most leagues. Steve, I'm in trouble. you got to help me here in, in terms of uh, the oh, quarterback situation. What, did you miss the playoffs? You missed the playoffs? No, I did make boy? the playoffs. I'm 8-5. and five. Everybody okay, relax. Right. Steve, well, let's start with quarterbacks. Where are you looking this week? Well, since we were just talking about Tampa Bay, I'm going to stick with Josh Freeman this week against the Eagles. Despite being under 20 fantasy points the past two games, he should get back on track against Philly this week, who are a complete mess on defense. They've allowed multiple touchdowns to six quarterbacks in a row, and I expect there to be a seventh. Another quarterback I really like, and I've been on the bandwagon all year long, and now it's going to get pretty crowded. I like Andrew Luck. He struggled last week throwing three interceptions early, but he led two late scoring drives, and will look to carry that momentum into this week's game against the Titans, who have allowed nine quarterbacks to throw multiple touchdowns. Throws the most deep balls in the league. I think he's got 85. 
and it's interesting. Uh, last last I was up in uh, at Lehigh and I, uh, for the men's basketball, I was watching Sports Center, and I hadn't seen that Andrew Luck game winner within ten minutes. I had seen it nine times. I mean, no <laughs> one. He, he's truly remarkable, and he's going to get you yards uh, for fantasy. All right. Who are you sitting this week? You know, maybe a guy who's who's out there. He might be started in a lot of leagues, but he's not going to get you that first win in the playoffs. Oh, well, the playoffs starting. There's one guy you can never really trust come this time of year. It's Philip Rivers. He has just mm, one game with at I least 20 with fantasy points. My it's... quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna lose. He has just one game with at least 20 fantasy points since week five, and against a tough Steelers defense, I expect another dud from Rivers. And one more quarterback I would stay away from, even though a lot of people are high on him right now, Chad Henney. This week, the Jaguars are playing a Jet defense who may play inspired football for Rex Ryan. Yes, we have to watch the Jets play the Jaguars, but I think the Jets D will shut Henney down, and he may be without wide-out special shorts. It's, it's funny. He is without special shorts, but he just was ruled out today. And it's funny saying that any quarterback named Chad is high on anyone's list. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, hey, you know, I said you're going to lose. I have Jake Locker as my second quarterback, so we'll see. <laughs> I have Jay Cutler. Is is that a more reasonable solution? Uh, yeah, I think so. I just think Chad Henney, Blackman's going to be, I think, covered greatly by Cromartie this week. I don't think he's going to have a lot of room to really move the ball downfield. And this Jet team, I mean, they've been embarrassed all year long, and they're going to play good football for Rex, I think. All right, so I'll be looking that direction. Running back-wise, who uh, who's first off your bench this week? Well, everyone needs to get DeMarco Murray back in their lineups. He returned last week after missing six games and appears to be fine. He should have a full workload against the Bengals this week, who have allowed 10 touchdowns to opposing running backs and eight to reach double digits in fantasy points. Also, I would get Fred Jackson back in all lineups. He was a present supplies last week with 25 carries for 109 yards. It was his first 100-yard game of the season, and he actually had more touches than C.J. Spiller. The two will continue to share playing time against the Rams, but Jackson should remain a significant contributor in a good matchup. All right, now running backs that you would sit, and I'm curious. Uh, I, I'm curious if Bilal Powell is on your bench because Jacksonville, not the greatest run, de- not the greatest team. Like everything about them is not that great. Uh, or as you like to call him, Bilal Powell. Uh, what, what do you see coming for him this week, and who else you sitting? Well, it depends on how deep a league you're in. If you have you know, a couple of flex positions and running two running backs, maybe you get Powell in that lineup. But I think Sean Green is going to get the bulk of the load. I think Joe McKnight be involved. So I would really? probably say. Think they're going to go to McKnight? I think they're going to open it up this week. You know, I mean, being four and seven, they're not really got much to lose. Kind of want to see what McKnight has at this point. So I would, I would stay away from him honestly. But who are you sitting at, at, at back though, other than him? I'm sorry, I'm going to say five and seven for the Jets too. But I would definitely sit Reggie Bush. I mean, he hasn't topped 15 carries since week five, and Daniel Thomas remains heavily in the mix. This week, I expect the 49ers to contain Bush, who's even risky as a flex option. Also, I don't like D'Angelo Williams. Despite remaining a starter for the Panthers, with Jonathan Stewart likely out, that doesn't mean he should start. So far, he has just two games with double digits in fantasy points on the year, and I don't think that will change this week. And in case you have LaShawn McCoy, he's also been ruled out this week. Right, so obviously Cam Newton affecting the uh, Williams stock there in Carolina. Wide receiver-wise, who's, who's your uh, who are quarterbacks looking at? Well, since we're talking about RG3 a lot today, I like wideout Pierre Garçon against the Ravens. He has been banged up of late and hasn't looked completely healthy since suffering his toe injury. But he has picked it up the past two weeks, and the Ravens' secondary is, com- is pretty depleted without Ladarius Webb. I think Garçon will break out. I also like Chris Givens in Buffalo. With Danny Amendola hurt, he has stepped up in the past two games with 16 catches for 207 yards and a TD. The Bills have allowed 15 touchdowns to opposing receivers, and I think Givens will join that group. All right, so who do you think is not going to have a good week this week at wide receiver? Now, I have Denario Alexander. I'm starting him. I started him over Denarius Moore, so I'm one for one there. also have Justin Blackman, and I could I could start Powell and... Uh, gosh, I think Donald Brown, if he's playing at, at, at flex. So who do you think in, in that uh, in that aspect? Well, we'll start off with Justin Blackman. He'll likely be the number one receiver this week for the Jaguars, with shorts being out, which could lead to an increase in targets, but a matchup would stand out cornerback Antonio Cromartie. I think that could mean a long game for Blackman, so I would have him on your bench. And another, not a big name, not as, a bigger name than Justin Blackman, of course, but I would sit once again Larry Fitzgerald. I said it last week, and I understand the playoffs are here, but he continues to struggle with poor quarterbacks. 
It's a shame watching his talent go to waste in Arizona, and he has just six fantasy points combined in his past three games. This week played a tough Seattle defense with cornerback Richard Sherman indeed playing, and I would stay away from Fitzgerald and Blackman. And let's uh, take a quick look here at tight ends because Dustin Keller is expected to be out this week for the Jets. He's on my fantasy team. Who should I find? Well, do not pick up Jeff Cumberland because I don't have too much faith in him. <laughs> Who does? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if he's available. It depends on how deep your league is. But Dennis Pitta against the Saints this week may be a very good matchup. He has double digits in fantasy points in two of his last four outings, and the Redskins have allowed the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. So if you could find a guy like Pitta, well, you gotta, you probably got to search around the wave wire. Maybe you could find an adequate replacement for Keller. How about Vernon Davis? You're starting or sitting Vernon Davis this week. I have Bennett, Martellus Bennett, starting Bennett over Davis. Yeah, it's been a rough year for Davis this year with only one game with double digits and fantasy points since week three. The team's offense has been a mess, and they have a ton of weapons. So I ex- but I expect another quiet one from Davis because that team right now with Kaepernick and that whole Q- QB controversy, and the you know they got a lot of weapons there on offense, so it's tough to get Vernon the ball right now. That's Steve Seminary. That is fantasy advice, and now it's time to look a little bit at uh, you know me being right. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. I love being right. This is the best part of the show for me. I could mess up all uh, the whole rest of the show, and I'd still be just just happy as a clam. You know what, Mike? This week, let's put dinner at one of the lovely dining establishments at Fordham University on the line. There's a reason I don't bet. We all took the Jets. Because you don't want to eat that crab cake. That's understandable. (laughs) All the Jets, all the Giants for us. Games we're picking this week. Baltimore is in uh, in, uh, Washington at FedEx Field. Steve, we begin with you. Ravens or Skins? I'm going to pick RG3 and the Skins in this one. I think his athleticism with that aging defense is pretty tough for them. Hard to pick against RG3, but it's Baltimore. It's Ray Rice. It's Joe Flacco turning it up. Got the Ravens. Nick and Julian both say Baltimore, and I'm going with Steve. I think the train is on the tracks right now. RG3 and the Skins, I think, are going to take care of business at home. Houston is in Foxborough to face the Patriots. Nick says it'll be New England. Julian says it's the Texans. I say it's the Texans. Kenny says it's the Texans, the Patriots perennial winners. But come on, it's the, the Texans are the best team in football right now. Nope. Steve. Easy one for Besides me. the Giants. Can never bet against Tom Brady, New England. So New England, he says, let's take a look at Chicago at the Metrodome against Minnesota in Minneapolis. I just feel like Chicago should win this game. Nick says Chicago. Julian says the Vikings. Christian Ponder. Oh, my Lord. What does Kenneth Ducey say? The Bears defense is one of the best of all time. This Bears defense. I'm saying that. And Adrian Peterson is going to run for 160 yards. The Vikings are going to take it, my friend. Is this the the steel curtain? Is that what we're talking? All right. Well, Steve. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. I got to say Minnesota in this one. How great has Adrian Peterson been this this year, honestly? He he has been incredible. Let's uh, talk toilet bowl because someone's got to win this game. Kansas City, after getting win number two of the campaign last week, Cleveland has four wins. I mean, this is <laughs> it's an early Christmas present for all of us in Cleveland. We don't even get a first overall draft pick this year. Steve, who's winning that game? Yeah, I got to say, I, I like Cleveland this week. I mean, I think Brandon Whedon, he's, he's improving. I like Cleveland. Well, I was going to pick Cleveland, but now that you said that, I'm going to also pick Cleveland. Fair enough. In the back, <laughs> we've got, uh, let's see, I got nothing from Nick. Da, and. Da, da. Uh, I've got Cleveland, actually, from Nick. Stunner. Julian says he's going with the Chiefs, so he he means business. Sadly, I need to go with Cleveland. I I don't want them to win. I want a good draft pick. Are are four of us going with the Browns? I don't think that's ever happened before. That's what the toilet bowl is all about. That's why we do this. Upset time. Nick says Dallas is going to beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati is at home, so they are the favorite. Julian looks at his upset. He says, give me the Cowboys over the Bengals. What does Steve say? Let down game for the Falcons this week in Carolina. Got the Panthers. Ooh, I like that one. I need Mo Romo. Romo ain't going (laughs) to lose no Mo. The Cowboys are taking this one. Somehow St. Louis in Buffalo is still considered the underdog. I'm taking St. Louis in that game. I mean, 
Come, Come on, on, they just beat the, the Niners. When have the Rams ever been a favorite since Kurt Warner's put up that put on that jersey? Honestly, <laughs> the, the greatest honestly. show on turf. When Mark Bolger was your quarterback, okay, may, okay. Hey, they had their times. They, they did. They had their Marshall times. Marshall Falk, one of the greats. And until our next time for Julian uh, Atienza and Nick Legerfo behind the glass, Steve Seminary across the table from me doing fantasy and picks with us, and Kenny Ducey. I'm Mike Watts. Thanks so much for listening. Go Browns. Let's go. This has been One-on-One's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as the guys take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.